The Insurance and Injury Law Show, indeed. 416-216-5910. That's the van's number anytime. And the email as well, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. A jam-packed show, a chock-full of show is uh, what we got today. Lots of stuff to cover, but first we get into, uh, well, week that was, usually. All right, John. Well, this uh, week was uh, was very, very busy, as they always are. Uh, but I do want to start with with a few cases, one of which is actually not my own. Uh, but it's very, very important for uh, for listeners out there in the event that they didn't catch uh, that story that was in the National Post this week. And uh, it's a it's a malpractice suit against a retirement home. Um, the claim was brought in London, Ontario, and uh, it's with respect to a lady that uh, that was brought and and by her family to the retirement home. Okay. Uh, the retirement home was apparently advised, allegedly advised, that she could not eat solid foods because she was uh, there was a risk that she would choke. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, uh, the standoff claim alleges that. Uh, uh, the retirement home had access to medical records. They were aware, apparently. Okay. But, you know, guess what happened? They, they left her with solid food, and she choked, and uh, she passed away. She died. Wow. And, of course, the family is now uh, claiming for significant damages. In fact, the claim, uh, and I'm reading this from the National Post article, uh, is for $4.4 million. And part of that amount uh, is for punitive damages uh, against the home. And and why am I bringing this up? Because uh, d- during uh, the lifespan of my career, when I've helped families and and um, uh, individuals who were impacted by uh, situations like this, where you know you're they're entrusting an elderly person at home uh, to a retirement facility, and you know they're hoping and they've done the research. And they really just want the best for their father or their mother or their grandmother or their grandfather, and tragedy falls. What do you do in that situation? Well, you definitely have to speak with someone who has expertise in that area. And I can tell you that uh, in that particular case, the one from London, uh, that lawyer there, uh, she's an exceptional lawyer. She has a very strong reputation uh, over there in London uh, and, frankly, around the province. And it's just unfortunate, but, you know, for people out there, you make sure that if you do have someone elderly uh, that is in a retirement home, do your research. Uh, do your research on that retirement home, uh, whether it's through Google or through reviews or even contact uh, the Ministry of, of Long-Term Care. Uh, in fact, in this case, the ministry was actually involved after the incident, mm-hmm. and they found, I believe, there was non-compliance by the home, and, and, and you know, they issued certain orders uh, that effectively chastised the home and ordered that they do certain things. And, of course... The home afterwards uh, took steps uh, to remedy the problems, but there's still liability on that retirement home. But if you're in that situation and you have concerns, ask questions. Make sure that your loved ones are taken care of. And if something happens, even before something happens, you may want to get legal advice. You may want to get someone, myself, uh, someone else uh, who has expertise in the area to uh, contact the home to to perhaps speak with them, express your concerns, or perhaps even pull your loved one out of that home and put them somewhere else. And, and John, with an aging population, this is unfortunately going to become more of a problem. You don't have enough retirement homes out there, long-term facilities for uh, people who are aging uh, to be cared for properly, it's extremely important and vital that you as the family members take steps to ensure that your loved ones are taken care of. Yeah, it's you never hear about that as much as you do, uh, you know, due diligence with daycares. And we've heard lots of stories of daycares. Same thing with a That's retirement right. home. That's right. And you there's a parallel, to, right? Do it, right? Exactly. There's a parallel. I mean, these people are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes there is abuse going on. Sometimes, you know, it's not that there is uh, abuse in terms of an intentional act. Sometimes it's just 
pure negligence. Yeah. And that's the reason why these homes carry insurance. And if, in fact, something like this happens and there's a claim against them for negligence, their insurance company is going to be responding to the claim. And that's what's probably going to happen here. So I'm going to read up on this case later on. Perhaps we'll talk about it down the road. But, you know, for people out there who've had loved ones uh, who were neglected and there were injuries or fatalities, just like in this case, this lady died, uh, you know, just make sure that you consult with, with an injury lawyer, an insurance lawyer, someone who knows what they're doing, who've acted in this area, and, and, and make sure that, you know, you, you, you hold that retirement home to account. Because, you know, the reality is this, and this is unfortunate, but it's, it's the reality. Without these kinds of claims, without people raising up their hand or going to a lawyer, Going to a lawyer and holding these people to account, you're never going to change. You're never going to change their behavior. And that's just the reality. So what, could have ha- what, what, what happened to you and your family, that may be happening to other people. By you taking action, you may be preventing other tragedies from happening in the future. You know, it's interesting. I think in all the years that we've been doing this show talking about injury, and uh, we've never covered a, a death case you personally, I don't think I've ever talked about. Would you attack it the same way? Yes, uh, there are differences in terms of what you are claiming because when someone dies, and by the way, I had a mediation last week, actually, that we had resolved on behalf of the family member uh, members involved a uh, motorcyclist that collided with a car. And when, when, when you have a claim in a fatality case, uh, you are essentially claiming for the estate, so the estate mm-hmm. of the person who died, as well as or for the family members. The Family Law Act... We talked about that before. Uh, Section 61 specifically allows family members, close family members within the nuclear family uh, to advance claims. And, and, you know, it it depends on on the situation. I mean, there there are various kinds of claims you can advance. Sure. The the standard claim you're you're advancing as a family member, like the son, the daughter, uh, the husband or wife of someone who died as a result of someone's negligence is a loss for care, guidance, and companionship. Right. It's, you know, That's it's number it's, one. That's it's number one. Yeah. It's number one. But there are other types of claims. Uh, what, what if it's a husband that died and the family was relying on the husband's salary? Well, then there is a dependency claim, right? Because now that money that the husband was bringing in or supposed to be bringing in is not there anymore. And so whoever was negligent, their insurance company is going to have to deal with that kind of a claim, and it could be sizable. Would it be based generally, I know it's getting a little deep, but would it be based generally on the amount of time the husband would have worked till or how long the family's going to be? You know, is it based on their length of, of, of life or based on the husband's work life? Uh, so it depends. Right. It depends. But generally speaking, it's based on the husband's working yeah. lifestyle. Had he worked to 65, so You got so it. Forth. Exactly. Right, right. And by the way, it's not 100 cents on the dollar, right? right? Because let's say I'm bringing into the household $2,000 a month. Uh, that's not to say that if I'm dead, my wife deserves $2,000 a month until I was I was going to be 65. Uh, it, because if I had been alive, some of that money would have been spent on me. So maybe she would be entitled to $1,500. But right. you know, whatever the calculation is, whatever method we use to figure out compensation, the point is that family members have recourse. They have recourse when, someone, when someone's negligence caused the death of a loved one. And oftentimes people who are grieving are not in a position, you know, in a mind state oh, no to go and seek legal advice, but they should. I see this no different than dealing with the will or dealing with, you know, the assets of the deceased individual. You should be seeking legal advice to see if there's anything uh, that you are entitled to under the law. 
Fascinating. And we'll get to more of that in the week that was continues. Take our first break here. Stick around. There's lots more to go. Lots of learning to get on on this edition of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. The number, by the way, anytime, 416-216-5910. That's the van's direct number. And it is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca through email. We'll get to a few of those throughout the show as well. Lots more coming up right here at Talk Radio, AM 640. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Savan's number anytime. You can get a hold of them, broadcast it every time, 416-216-5910, and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We're right in the middle of the week. That was some cases that have come by your desk and interesting stuff as well. Well, I have another uh, very interesting one, and uh, I haven't uh, I haven't started this case yet, but uh, I will. So I'm not going to give uh, too many particulars, mm-hmm. except that this is something that just this is the reason why I do this, and this is why I get so angry with insurance companies. Uh, this involves a young man, um, and by young man, I mean he's over 18, but you know he's not uh, 50. Right. And uh, he had a fall in 2011. Uh, he lives in the States, by the way. He had a fall, and he became paralyzed from the waist down. And uh, he, through, through his mother's work insurance... Uh, he would be entitled to a certain amount of, of money for compensation for that. Okay, so so he's not going after anyone because of the fall. Gotcha. It's just that there was insurance that would cover you in the event that you are paralyzed and you can't use your legs. And and the family contacted me because I was recommended to them from, I don't know through who, but they're in the U.S. They got in touch with me. Yep. And I'm reviewing all the documents. And I'm reviewing a, a letter from uh, the specialist that's treating this young man. And, and this is a letter from the specialist to the insurance company trying to convince them to cover him, to actually pay this amount. It's a six-figure amount. Right. And, and he's, he's stating here in his letter, it's a, it's a, it's a short letter, but he's, he's stating uh, that this individual suffered a spinal cord injury in a fall that occurred back in <sighs> 2011. He's classified as having incomplete paraplegia. Uh, but he doesn't have any functional use of his legs. He's got lo- uh, uh, leg braces that he uses uh, in a clinic setting. You know how you see in movies sometimes uh, war vets in a clinic setting, they're trying to get them to move around, so they yeah. have these attachments to the legs. They're not really walking. I mean, they're a wheelchair bound, yeah. right? At home, outside, they have wheelchairs. They cannot walk. They yeah. cannot use their legs. Uh, in fact, I've seen some videos of this young man trying to, to move around you know, with, with help. And uh, so the issue is this. After the specialist wrote that letter, the insurance company wrote a letter back, and this letter is dated this July, so this month, stating, we have reviewed this doctor's uh, letter, we've reviewed all of the medical records, and as far as we're, uh, we're concerned, he does not fit into the definition Come under on. the policy, meaning, and I'm going to read you the sentence. Uh, According to the above reference policy provisions, in order to be eligible for the benefits, the claimant must have total and irrevocable loss of function in relation to the two legs. The second sentence, as Mr. So-and-so is able to ambulate with the use of assistive devices, we conclude that the provision of total and irrevocable loss of use has not been satisfied. Therefore, our decision to decline this request... Uh, is maintained and, and as a definition of paraplegia has not been met. That is insane. It's it's just, it's crazy. And and you know what struck me about this denial letter and some of the other ones that came beforehand, I'm not seeing anywhere where they're stating that they had their own doctors review the records. Right. 
It's an adjuster from an insurance company. I don't know what the qualifications are of this adjuster who's simply saying that this young man does not qualify under a definition. When I have uh, uh, a letter here, and I, I've seen the records uh, f- from the treating specialist, not a family physician, the specialist treating him yeah. in the state saying, yeah, he has no functional yeah. loss. He's not playing he, soccer No, here. he can't do anything with his legs. And this is from 2011. Okay, he's not getting any sensations back. This just makes me absolutely angry. And I'll tell you, I mean, they've been turned away by, by a lawyer in the States. Uh, they've been turned away by a few people. Why? We are definitely, well, for a variety of reasons. Uh, some lawyers are just not comfortable with the case. Some of them think, oh, well, you know what? If the insurance company says that, you know, you don't qualify, then you don't qualify. Clearly, those kinds of lawyers uh, either don't have what it takes. I'm going to yeah. now use a crude word here, not have what it takes to actually advance a claim and fight the insurance company, uh, or they just don't understand the law. As far as I'm concerned, based on everything I've seen, they have a case. They have a strong case. We're going to advance that case. And here's what I'm going to do when we start that case. I'm going to file what's called a jury notice. Okay. I'm going to make sure the insurance company knows that if this case ever gets anywhere near a courthouse, which I guarantee you it will not, there will be a jury, a jury, who is going to be reviewing the facts oh, of this case. Done. Now, just based on what I've said here, John, can you envision six people from the street sitting on a jury looking at this young man who cannot walk and will not be able to walk for the rest of his life or do anything with his legs, and then you have an insurance representative on the other side. Can you tell me, can you see a jury ever saying to this young man, no, because in a clinic setting you are working, he's not even walking, you're sort of waddling a bit with braces, Therefore, you don't qualify under the policy. Can you see that? No, no. I can't see that. I can- so not only are we going to make that claim for the, the policy amount that he's going to be entitled to, I'm going to tack on a huge punitive damages award because this is absolutely in- this, it's insanity. It's, and, you know, it's not only insanity. This is it's one of those situations where, you know, and I've said before, insurance companies a lot of times deny claims uh, for good reasons. Uh, people just don't qualify. Yep. Maybe they don't meet the definition. I understand that. It's I used to shifty. defend insurance. No. Oh. They have, they have their own rights too. But when it's so clear cut, they have to be punished. They don't just have to pay. They have to be punished. And that's what's going to happen with this case. We've got about a minute left in this one. Let me, uh, let, let's flip it around. This is the reason why I ask this because you spent so many years on the other side for insurance companies, which is why your practice is so successful because you get the other side. If you were at the insurance company, you were the adjuster or you were the lawyer for the insurance company, that came across your desk. It's like how do you, with a, with a, without throwing up, Defend the insurance company for that. Let me it must break. Make you sick. Let me break down what you just said. If you were the adjuster, and then he said, or if you were the lawyer, hmm. that's the key. I want to get this claim. Once we issue it, it goes to the hands of a lawyer, and I can almost guarantee you. I can't guarantee you 100, percent but I can almost guarantee you. I'm going to get a call from the lawyer who's going to be reviewing this, who is going to look at this and say to themselves, "What the hell was this yeah. adjuster thinking?" I'm working for. An and oftentimes, that's what happens. Remember, disability claims. I told you about that case that uh, we spoke last week. A uh, lady um, who came to us actually through mm-hmm. by listening to the radio, a uh, long-term disability case where she was told she was going to get cut off. We intervened. They did not cut her off, but then they cut her off again two months later. Right. And I had said, don't worry, we're going to start a claim. We start a claim immediately. That happened a few weeks back. We were dealing with the adjuster, right? Suddenly there is a lawyer on board and the lawyer contacts us saying, are you guys interested in a resolution? Do you want to mediate this? Do you want to go to a mediation? That's what's gonna what happen. does that tell you? It tells you that once the lawyers take a look at it, not every lawyer, but once the lawyers take a look at it and they see the insanity and they see that they're going to get steamrolled if this ever gets near a courthouse, 
they give they they, they pick up the phone and 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 you know yeah. take care of this they take care of us yeah, yeah. Big time quick break uh, 416-216-5910 in the insurance injury law show is the name of the show anytime you want to get a hold of savannah through email we'll get to an email as soon as we come back that is help at the insurance lawyer.ca we continue with the insurance injury law show this is talk radio am 640 the number anytime to get a hold of savannah on the show outside the show 416-216-5910 and it's help at the insurance lawyer.ca a couple more these cases you brought this week are just prime man yeah really interesting yeah. uh the 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 um the other two a uh, couple of cases i'll talk about really briefly uh this was uh, let me just pull it out it's an email that uh that we got um from a lady uh and and so this is what this is the email i got from the person in my office who actually spoke with her because i wasn't able to get to her immediately and, and so uh the lady in my office writes to me says uh says hi sivan um I'm going to change the name here. Michelle is an avid lis- uh, listener of your program. She was involved in a car accident three years ago. She was re-rendered when she was turning right. She signed off on a settlement offer on July 8th. She stated mm-hmm. that you said that you had a case with the same matter and you were able to assist, and she wanted to know if you can help her. She said that she's not able to go to work as she's still in constant pain. And and that's that's effectively the situation. So, of course, I'm looking at this, and what immediately jumps at me the accident happened three years ago. So if no claim was started within two years of the accident, you're out of luck. There are some exceptions out there for getting around the two-year limitation period. But, you know, those those exceptions are, are difficult to, to deal with and you do not want to be in that situation. So if you have an accident or a slip and fall or anything where someone else was negligent and you were injured, you want to get a hold of an injury lawyer immediately. Yep. You want to know what your rights are. Uh, and, and we get calls like that all the time. So you, know, you can call me or email me and we'll just have a brief chat and I'll tell you what you need to do. And if I tell you you need to wait to see what happens with your injury, then you can go ahead and do that. If, if you don't want to mm-hmm. wait, we can start a claim immediately. It's up to you. But what else struck me here is, uh, is that sentence, she signed off on a settlement offer on July 8th. Ah. Look, if you sign... Uh, settlement documents, if you sign a release, if money exchanges hands, the insurance company offers you X, you accept it, and you, you sign on it, you're done. It. You cannot undo it. Don't call me saying that you were uh, uh, oppressed. It's like a severance offer. Once yeah, you, take it, you, you take can't. It. Exactly. Yeah. There's no, nobody held a gun to your head. This is not an offer you could not refuse, especially, by the way, given the fact that there's so many personal injury lawyers out there that are advertising their services. I mean, you can't say that you didn't know that you could have gone to someone. Yeah, you can't. And by the way, insurance companies are not going to tell you, I've never seen this happen at least, uh, that they tell you, here's what we're offering and you have until four o'clock today to sign off on it. They never do that. They always give you some time because they know that mm-hmm. you know, people will contest it down the road. Sure. If you are offered a settlement proposal because you were injured, don't simply sign off on it without getting legal advice. Whether it's breath. me or someone else, take a breath. Relax. <laughs> seek some advice. You could be leaving thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not more on the table. Once you sign off on it, that's it. It's it's almost impossible to undo that settlement. Okay, so that's what I wanted to bring up. Uh, if you signed off on settlement documents, don't even call me because you may feel really bad about the money that you left on the table. Right. <laughs> All right. The, the the last thing I want to chat about is, uh, and this uh, I, I was asked this. Uh, by an individual who's on long-term disability. And of course, we speak to a lot of people at our office who are on long-term disability or who have been denied long-term disability. This person was told 
by their insurance company that they needed to go to a functional abilities evaluation. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's a test that figures out, uh, you know, how functional are you? Can you do this? Can you do that? But generally, when the insurance company arranges for you to go to an assessment like that, they are the ones who are paying for it. In this case, apparently, they asked the individual to pay for it. Nice. And he paid for it. And so his question to me is, can I recover this money back? And I said, well, this is the first time I've heard of this, that the insurance company is asking you to pay for an assessment that would probably end up benefiting them. It's worth so, a shot. Yeah, I mean, wow. That's, that's, and it's interesting that he called me after he paid yeah. for the assessment. So listen, I'm not blaming the guy because at the end of the day, how, what does he know? How does he know that he should not be paying for it? But if you're out there and you're in a situation like this where you're asked by the insurance company to pay for an assessment to figure out if you're able to go back to work or if you can do things around the house, no, you're not paying yeah. for it. If the insurance company wants to put you through one of these assessments, they, they can, can pay for it. And yeah. by the way, these assessments are usually anywhere from a few hundred bucks to a few thousand dollars. Hello. So definitely don't do that, okay? Just a, a word of caution. We'll get to the injury calculator in the last couple minutes here. What is this tool all about? It's an online uh, free tool, an anonymous tool. Uh, the only one of its kind, as far as I know, in Canada that we put together about a year, year and a half ago, my team and I. And what we did is we created this calculator online that allows people who have been injured through no fault of their own because of someone else's negligence uh, to enter the type of injury they, they suffered. You're not putting your name, your phone number, your email, nothing. Mm-hmm. You just want to know if you uh, made a claim for your injury, what could you be expecting in terms of dollars for pain compensation for your pain and suffering? Right. And what this calculator does is it, is it scans through a database of cases that we have put in there, and it basically gives you a range of dollars. So it can tell you that, you know, perhaps for your uh, chronic back pain, John, you'd be entitled to forty to $60,000 right. for pain and suffering. Now, there's other elements of the case, right? We have to figure out who was at fault, to what extent are they at fault, all that kind of stuff. But most people, when they come to a personal injury lawyer, they have a basic question. They, they want to know, is it worthwhile for me to even proceed? It's a good what am I looking? Pad. It's a launching pad. Yeah. You want to know how much your injury is worth, quote unquote, you know, as crude as that sounds. That's why you're going to a personal injury lawyer. You're not expecting them to repair your back. They're not doctors. You want to know dollars and cents. That tool allows you uh, to at least have an idea of what kind of compensation you're looking at. The injury calculator. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Check it out if you haven't already. We'll take a quick break. The number 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savant anytime. The Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio AM 640. Savant's number anytime, even when the show is done, is 416-216-5910. And it is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That is the email address used by Greg. Writes in from Newmarket. Says, Savant, I've uh, been a long-term disability for just over a year, and my insurance company is telling me that I have to apply for CPP disability. Uh, do I have to do that? What happens if I don't? Uh, well, most long-term disability provisions and uh, policies nowadays uh, have a provision that states that you should be applying to CPP disability. Um, or that you need to. And the reason for that is fairly simple because if you, in fact, qualify and you get any money from CPP, your insurance company is entitled to a deduction. So if the insurance company is paying you a 1000 bucks a month for okay. your disability, right. CPP starts kicking in $500, the insurance company no longer pays you the $1,000. They're just sense. paying you $500. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens if you don't? And I get this question a lot because, you know, at the end of the day, you do need to make the application you need to go and, and you know uh, get all your medical documents, reports, in order to support your application for CPP disability. Well, if you don't, the insurance company may take the position that you haven't complied with the policy. They're not going to cut you off, but what they may do is they're going to say, well, we're going to assume that 
you should be getting it, and therefore we're going to start deducting whatever we think you would have qualified for. Nice. So you know, it's it's not something that you want to ignore. Uh, and by the way, this can actually help you. And, and how does it help you? Because if you in fact apply for CPP disability and you qualify, incidentally, John, it's not easy to qualify. But if you qualify, it's may it makes it a bit more difficult, I would say, for the insurance company to cut you off down the road because because why? it's not. Easy to qualify. Well, exactly. So that's good. If the government recognizes that I'm disabled and they're paying me and the government doesn't want to pay me, then who are you, insurance company, yeah. to say that I am not disabled? So, in fact, it helps you. Uh, so I, I, I would you know, tell people out there that if, if, they are, if they're told by their insurer, apply for CPP disability, don't ignore that request. Now, keep in mind something else. If you apply and you get denied, there is a window to appeal the decision. I think it's 90 days, I believe. Uh, and you should do that. You should definitely appeal. Again, you want to make sure that you show the insurance company that you've done everything you could to comply with the LTD policy. And if there is that requirement, which most policies now have, to apply for CPP, mm-hmm. that you've, you've in fact uh, done that. The number is 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savannah. The email, uh, like Greg just used there, help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Let's chat a little bit about workplace uh, WSIB uh, versus tort claims. Now, if someone gets injured during the course of their employment, they're at work, can they claim compensation against that employer? Okay, I'm going to answer that question, but beforehand, just like uh, you know, Lior in the Employment Hour says, we cannot help unionized employees. Right. We cannot help uh, people who have WSIB uh, cases. We, same we're thing. not, yeah. Well, I mean, okay. it's not exactly the same thing, but it's, it's, we don't deal with WSAB. Now, if someone is injured while they were in the course of their employment, so, you know, you have someone who is, uh, you know, in, in a factory setting, for example, exactly, yeah. and something happened, and, you know, God forbid they, their arm was cut off or something, something really bad happened, they're injured. Can they sue their employer? No, they cannot. They cannot. The employer, uh, if it's a WSIB employer, if they're registered with WSIB, either Schedule 1 or Schedule mm-hmm. 2, there are two schedules here, okay? If they are registered with workers' comp, you cannot sue your employer. And you also cannot make a claim against another employee in the company. Like, let's say it's, it's uh, you know, Greg, who, who, because of Greg, John was injured, but yeah. they're both co-workers, right. right? But they're all covered under workers' comp. John cannot make a claim against Greg, and John cannot make a claim against his employer. Okay. But to answer your question. What if they're not covered by WSIB? What if they're they start? not? Yeah, what if they're Very, very important. Not? And again, this thing, uh, this escapes a lot, of, a lot of lawyers out there. What happens if you are in the course of your employment, you are injured, but the injury was not caused by someone who was working at the time? I'll give you an example. Let's say that uh, you're, you're uh, uh, a taxi driver mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you're covered, let's say, under workers' comp and you're in a car accident, but the other person who was responsible for the car accident is on their way home. They're sure. not working. Makes sense. What can you do? Well, in that case, you're going to have an election to make. You can elect either to go through workers' comp or you can elect to go after the guy who was responsible for the accident. And this is really, really important because people uh, who are in that situation oftentimes automatically assume that they should go through workers' comp. That's not always the best thing. In Why? fact, well, because workers' comp uh, is, is a lot more limited in terms of the type of benefits you're able to get, particularly when there's someone else who's at fault for the accident. Right. My advice always is that if it's a choice between claiming workers' comp, WSIB, or dealing with an insurance company, for whoever caused the injury, it's preferable 
to uh, make a claim against whoever caused the injury so you can deal with the insurance company directly. Oftentimes, the compensation is a lot greater. This is very, very case-specific. My point is this. If you are injured as a result of someone's negligence, even if you were in the course of your employment, speak to an injury lawyer. Give us a call. Email us. I will let you know if you have the ability under the law to make a claim against whoever was responsible. Sometimes you're unable to because you're prohibited under the workers' comp legislation, which is the Workplace Safety and Insurance Act. But sometimes if the injury was caused by someone who was not working at the time or someone who is in a different schedule under the Workers' Comp Act, you may be able to make a claim against those people and deal with their insurance company and therefore get a lot more compensation. So it's very convoluted, which is why I'm saying always, always, always seek legal advice. Contact us. It won't take us a long time to tell you exactly what you can and cannot do. Good launching pad would be the number 416-216-5910 or email help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We continue with lots more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM 640. You know, you could toss this number into your contacts, keep it with you at all times. That's Savan's uh, personal number, 416-216-5910. That will get you in touch with him at the law firm, and it is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to an email from that email uh, address right there. Susan Hamilton writes in, says, I slipped and fell on a wet floor at a store about a year ago, broke my ankle, had surgery, and they put screws in. Still have lots of pain and difficulty walking I've been taking, or at least talking with the insurance company, rather, of the store, and they've uh, they've offered me 12500 bucks. Is that enough? No? Should I go for it? Doesn't seem like it. I have to be back in my job, uh, Costco cashier, and I'm 62. So you got employment, you got age, you got a job. What do you, you think? You do, yeah. And Susan, no, 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 that's definitely not enough. I can tell you without even using the injury calculator that, you know, if you break your ankle and you have uh, surgery with metal hardware that's inserted inside, and by the way, what I don't know is if you're going to have surgery down the road right. to remove it. Right. Uh, I, I've dealt with a ton of cases with broken ankles, uh, and it's not good. I'm sure that you're you're in a lot of pain during the winter. I'm sure that you have trouble ambulating. Mobility question. 62. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have arthritis, osteoarthritis. And no doubt in my mind, this is not going to go away anytime soon, and it's likely, it's likely permanent. So $12,500, as far as I'm concerned, is actually insulting. It's absolutely no. insulting. Why? Because an ankle injury such as yours can easily, can easily uh, um, be worth, and again, I use worth in quotes, under the law, uh, $30,000, $40,000. Yeah, and again, it's fact-specific. It depends on how much it impairs you in your daily life and your ability to work. But keep in mind here as well, it's not only the issue of the pain and suffering, it's the fact that you're saying you have difficulty now going back to work. And clearly, you're losing income. So just the income, uh, you know, the income alone can, can be a lot more than $12,500. I mean, if, if you're working full-time there and you're making, let's say, $30,000 a year, and let's say you will not be able to go uh, until age 65 when yep. perhaps you would have liked to retire, that's three years, three years times $30,000. Do the math, John. It's $90,000. Maybe you're part-time and you're only losing $15,000 a year. 15 times three, that's 45000 Whichever way you cut it and way slice it. Way above 12. It, way above 12 and a <laughs> half. Way, way above but they're trying to get a deal. I don't blame them. Whenever an insurance company is dealing with an individual, there is no lawyer involved, uh, they they will try to get a deal. They, they will. And, and it makes sense. I mean, they're trying to save money, right? Insurance companies are in the business of saving money and making money. And one of the ways to do it is to either ignore claims, deny claims, or to try and undersettle claims. 
And by the way, it's a good thing, good for you, Susan, for uh, for emailing me uh, and 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 you know for for getting us to talk about this because again, it goes back to uh, the first uh, one of the first cases we spoke about at the beginning of the show with the, that lady mm-hmm. who signed off on that settlement yeah. in July of this year, right? Susan, you haven't signed off on anything, and it's a good thing you didn't because we can completely tear apart this twelve and a half thousand dollar offer. And based on the information you've provided here. I wouldn't be surprised if your claim reaches six figures, perhaps even 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 higher than $100,000. Again, we'll want to chat about it. I need to understand how much you are making, the exact circumstances of the fall, but it's a serious injury. The repercussions are very serious. $12,500 is absolutely joke. nothing. It's a joke. It's absolutely a joke compared to what I think that you should be getting. Pretty dry this summer, God. We need some rain, but eventually it's going to be getting into fall and then winter and then upcrop the uh, trips and hazards and all the trips and falls that are going to be happening. So people get injured when they trip over you know, dangerous or hazardous conditions, uneven cement, all that stuff, all the time. What constitutes a hazard or a dangerous condition? What's well, the scale? Okay, so, so first of all, it's very important to understand that we, we, have, we have legislation in Ontario called the Occupier's Liability Act. Okay. And uh, that act specifically states that owners of premises or anyone who has control of premises, right? Perhaps you're not the owner, but you are leasing the place or taking care of the place. You have an obligation under that piece of legislation, under the Occupier's Liability Act, to make sure that the premises are reasonably safe for anyone that comes on it. I guess reasonably is a big word. Right? You got it. Yeah. Reasonably is the word. And so that's where sort of the battle is usually with insurance companies. Uh, and so what's a hazard? Well, a hazard can be anything from, you know, some water on the floor. It can be in the department store, uh, clothes that are just on the ground that have not been picked up, uh, hangers yeah. around, Tools anything. on the floor. Yeah, right? I mean, you're walking outside and, and you're on a sidewalk and there is a differential in height between mm-hmm. concrete slabs. Perhaps there is a, a pothole that you stepped into. Anything that can cause you injury is a potential hazard. That doesn't mean necessarily that the occupier is going to be automatically negligent. But the question of is it a hazard or not, that's something that as a lawyer dealing in this area, I can tell you if if reasonably speaking, if, if we're looking at what caused you to fall or what caused your injury and we're saying, you know what, that really should not have been there or, or that should have been maintained and taken care of or should have been quarantined, if the analysis moves to that point, then you can probably define it as a hazard, okay? okay? And, and again, no one's expecting uh, that the outside and the inside, that, that you know, premises anywhere are going to be completely safe. That's not the standard. The standard is reasonably safe. So again, listen, if, 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 you know, if you're walking into a store and there is a leak, but it's quarantined and you have signs all over it. And you walk through it. And you're walking through it because you think you're, uh, you know. Yeah. You can walk somebody, on water. Yeah, you're, 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 you're Chris Angel, for example, right? <laughs> you think you can just walk on it and nothing yeah. happens. And you I'm sorry, it's going to be your fault. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Good yeah. luck trying to make a claim and right. I'm not going to help you with that. But, you know, if, if, if it's not that and if it's a hazard that you think should not have been there, wasn't properly maintained, you should definitely consult with us because we can probably make a claim for you. We'll continue that point in just a moment here. The number 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca through email. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM640. Yeah, remember this number, 416-216-5910. Email help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, Insurance and Injury Law Show. Savannah so takes that number anytime, has it on them all the time. We're talking about slips and falls and trips. So let me ask you this. I see it all the time. Uneven payment. I know there's a threshold as to what is uh, dangerous and what is considered, hey, pick up your feet. Um, but if, if, if it's been recognized, 
recognize as big enough to be uneven. Sometimes they'll paint a bright orange stripe right across the high part, which means it's it's on the docket, I guess, to get fixed. If you trip over that still, is that still considered? No, it's, it's you had warning. We recognize it. It's painted bright orange. Or can you still make a claim with the city on that? Do you think? You know, I've had cases like that, both on the defense and the plaintiff side, and I think it depends on. Again, you know, it's 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 funny. Lawyers often say they start the analysis with "it depends." In fact, every law school exam, uh, the answer should start with "it depends" yeah. because you always have two sides. Well, look, I mean, yeah, if it's, if it's in bright orange, sure. I mean, you should be able to see it They'd and to look at it. it. But yeah. let me ask you, John, let me turn the analysis on its head. What if that uh, uh, bright orange stripe was there for a year? Right. Why, what if for a year they didn't repair it? What if their own manuals say that they should be repairing it within a week of it being uh, uh, marked as, as, as having, you know, to be repaired. Sure. Well, again, so then the question becomes, okay, well, maybe there is equal fault on both parties. Maybe there is a split liability situation, right? right. You're responsible for 30% of it, and uh, the premises owner or the city or whoever is responsible for it is in charge, uh, is responsible for 70% of, of, of the injury. So again, it depends. Look, if it is clearly marked then you should take heed and you should be watching where you're going. That's the argument. Courts have recognized that. I recognize that. Any reasonable person recognizes it. That said, you know, it has to be understood that there is a reasonableness aspect to it. So if it was painted a year ago, would you as a lawyer dig through those records and find out how long that's, if you yes. could? Yes, So it's like, I guys, would. You, you, you sprayed this a year ago. Why wasn't it already fixed? Absolutely. I will. Wow. 100%. And I can tell you right now that I've had cases where I've defended these kinds of, of, of scenarios for the insurance companies. And my analysis to the insurance companies and my clients were, uh, yeah, I mean, we marked that area. We think that the individual who was injured was not looking where they were going. But on the other hand, we did not do our job. We should have fixed it months and months ago. How come we didn't? And so therefore, we should settle on the basis of X amount of percentage. So again, remember, a lot of these cases are not all or nothing. It's not right. black and white. You can have a split liability. It's no different than a car accident where, you know, if I hit you from behind, I may be 100% responsible. But what happens if it's not a hit from behind? What happens if I'm making a left-hand turn, you're going straight, and we're arguing as to the fact, as to whether or not the light was yellow or red or green? It's not going to necessarily be a 100% I'm at fault or 100% you're at fault. It may be 50-50. Right. So again, very important to understand that it's not always a black and white situation in these cases, which is more of a reason of why people should be consulting someone that knows what they're doing in the area and have done it in my view, preferably on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. Uh, that's that's just you know the way I look at it. I'm just able to put on my defense hat in analyzing a case and my plaintiff hat in analyzing a case. And I'll tell you, you know, I think you have 50% shot at getting this and this, or here's what I think the settlement would look like. And, and that's what people are looking for. They just want information to be able to gauge whether or not they have a case. And I just bring up the city because there's so many miles of sidewalk in this city. You've got to be careful. And you have a 10-day 10 uh, 10 uh, limit on that, don't you? To make That's right. If okay. you're dealing with city uh, uh, sidewalk, you, you have to provide a written notice to the city clerk within 10 days of the incident. Take pictures, uh, do all that stuff. Oh, 100%. Yep. And if you can take pictures the day of, of the defect in the sidewalk that caused you to fall or the bad ice uh, the, 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 whatever it is, make sure that you have those records. Make sure that you keep those pictures. All right, take it home. Give us one more shot at the injury calculator. Tell me about it. Go to the injurycalculator.ca. Fantastic tool, anonymous and free, will allow you to input the type of injury you suffered, uh, the extent of the injury, and the calculator will tell you, will give you a range 
of what kind of compensation for pain and suffering you are looking at so that you know if it's worthwhile for you to even speak to me or mm-hmm. to, you know, to consult with a personal injury lawyer. And, and you know, oftentimes people, when they go to a lawyer, uh, they, they don't like the answers that they get. And oftentimes the lawyers don't even give them any answers. Well, this calculator, which as far as I'm concerned, the first of its kind in Canada, will allow you to at least uh, have an idea of what uh, the injury um, c- could be could be worth from a pain and suffering standpoint. But of course, keep in mind, there's a lot more to it. If you've lost income, you may be entitled to that. Uh, if you need help around the house, you may be entitled to that. So really important, contact me, email me, call me. We'll have a chat, whether it's via email or by phone, and I'll tell you exactly what your options are. Until next time, 416-216-5910. That is the number in the email, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show right here, Talk Radio, AM640.